Brandon and welcome back. I'm glad you can join us tonight. We're going to be continuing on in the book of Judges. We've been going through Judges the last few weeks and we're going to continue on tonight. So Judges 18, we're going to attempt to do the whole chapter. I've said this a couple times in the last few weeks and typically I don't usually like to take a big section of scripture to kind of bite through at one time. I usually only take a few verses at a time, but it's just kind of happened that in the last few weeks as we've gone through the Psalms and as we are continuing through the book of Judges, that there are some of these stories that we really, I don't think it's good for us to break them up because we kind of need the whole chapter to get the whole story. So we're going to attempt to do all of Judges 18 tonight. I'll kind of read some big chunks of scripture and we'll kind of talk about what they say as opposed to going through verse by verse uh, just to kind of get an overview of what's going on. So uh, we'll pray and then we'll jump into the text. God, we come to you and I thank you for your words. I pray that you'll be blessed through these words tonight and I just uh, pray that you'd hide me behind the cross that I would preach and teach in a way that's going to bring glory to you and Dear Lord, I just I pray that you would help us to get something from these words. And even if we don't get it tonight, just let us tuck them away in our heart so that when the time comes in the future that you'll remind us of what we read here today, that you would just, uh, uh, God, help us to know how all your word works together and goes together. And I pray that we'll grow in it. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. All right, Judges 18, we'll start in verse 1. In those days there was no king in Israel, and the Danite tribe was looking for territory to occupy. Up to that time no territory had been captured by them among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent out five brave men from all their clans, from Zorah and Ishtael, to scout out the land and explore it. They told them, go and explore the land. They came to the hill country of Ephraim as far as the home of Micah and spent the night there. While they were near Micah's home, they recognized the speech of the young Levite. So they went over to him and asked, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is keeping you here? He told him what Micah had done for him and that he had hired him as his priest. Then they said to him, Please inquire to God so we will know if we will have a successful journey. The priest told him, Go in peace. The Lord is watching over the journey you are going on. Now, to really understand this passage, we need a little bit of background of what happened in the chapter before. Now, if you tuned in last week, then uh, you may remember the events that took place in chapter 17. I would encourage you to go back and read those uh, pass- that passage in uh, Judges 17 to kind of see what was going on. What was going on is we were introduced to this character, Micah. Long story short, Micah had these idols made uh, to, to put up in his home to be worshipped. And he found this Levite guy who was passing through. Uh, The Levites were the priestly tribe of God, of the tribes of Israel. And even though not all Levites were to be priests, Micah saw that this guy was a Levite and said, Hey, God will think I'm good if I have a Levite as priest. He got this Levite to come in and be his priest. The Levite was... Uh, seemed to be thrilled at the opportunity. He was making a little money. He had a place to stay. He had a position of power as priest for Micah and his household. Uh, And so the story was set for us. Last week, we were introduced to the things that we're going to see about uh, tonight. Now, these things that I just mentioned are going to come up because uh, this Levite we have already seen mentioned in this passage that we started looking at tonight. Now, The key tribe that we're looking at here is the tribe of Dan. Now, the tribe of Dan is somewhat fresh on our memory, probably, because we just finished up covering the story of Samson, and he was from the tribe of Dan. 
And what we see in this passage is that they are looking for uh, an allotment of land. Now, all of God's people, as they went into Israel, had a spot of land that was set aside for them. We see that all the way back in Joshua chapter 19. And even the tribe of Dan, along with the rest, had a certain spot of land that was to be their spot of land when they went into the promised land. Now, two of the places that were to be theirs are mentioned for us in uh, verse 2, Zorah and Ishtael. Now, those were supposed to be parts of the land of Dan. Now, there are other uh, parts that are mentioned for us in that Joshua 19 passage. So it's clear that Dan had already taken control of at least some of the land that they were supposed to get, uh, but either they had not taken control of all of it or they were not satisfied with the land that they had gotten. Now, there's lots of speculation and lots of ideas and opinions when it comes to the tribe of Dan, uh, most of which paint Dan in a bad light, and that may be uh, the, the correct way to look at Dan and the things that occurred. But I would encourage you to study a little bit uh, on the tribe of Dan and, and kind of look at their history and the few times that they may be mentioned uh, even later on in the Bible. Now, they had taken part of their land. Now, it could just be uh, that they were just going to take the rest of the land that was already promised to them. Or it's possible uh, that they could be wanting land that, that was not promised to them, that they weren't happy with what they had, they weren't content, and they were seeking more. I don't know that we can really know that, though, for sure, uh, just from this passage, or maybe not even uh, from other passages either, but uh, it's hard to know that for sure uh, just from this passage. So they were going out to explore the land to see if they could find some land that they could overtake. Now, this is what God had already told the people of Israel to do. This is what all the tribes had been doing up to this point. They had gone into the promised land, and they were supposed to destroy and drive out all the inhabitants of the land. But as we've seen throughout the whole book of Judges, uh, they have failed to do so. They've been disobedient to the Lord, and they have not driven out the people. Instead, they have begun to worship their idols and do the things that the other people in the land are doing. Now, we see that here with Dan. Uh, we even saw that at the very beginning of the book of Judges in Judges chapter 1. It talks about several of the different tribes and how they went into the land and failed to drive out the people who were there or gave in to what the people were doing and began to live like them. And Dan is included in that list with a lot of other tribes. So what, what Dan is doing here doesn't really seem out of character or any worse, at least in my opinion, than what we've seen the rest of the 12 tribes do uh, up to this point as we've read through the book of Judges. They've all been disobedient. They've all done things that they shouldn't have done. And so here they are going to do something that they should have done, which is drive people out of the land. Now, whether or not they should have done it sooner, whether or not they're doing it uh, with the wrong intent because they're not content with their land, we don't know that. Uh, but what they're doing here by seeking out land that God has already promised the people of Israel and by ultimately driving out the people who are in that land is not, is not really a problem because that's what they should have done to start with. Now, they go to the hill country of Ephraim. Now, Ephraim uh, is right next to the land that Dan is, 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 is found in. If you search for a, a biblical map of the 12 tribes of Israel, you'll see Ephraim and Dan, uh, they're right close together. And when they get to the hill country of Ephraim, they stop at the home of Micah. Now, when they get there, they hear the voice of this Levite priest, the same one that we saw in Judges 17. And it says in the text that they, uh, uh, let's see, in verse uh, 3, while they were near Micah's home, they recognized the speech of the young Levite. Now, I don't know if they recognized him personally. 
That is, when they got there, they said, hey, there's that old Levi guy. We know him. We've met him somewhere else. Maybe they recognized his voice as an old friend or an old acquaintance. Or maybe it, when it says that they recognized him, maybe they just simply recognized that he was a Levite. That is, his accent gave him away. In the same way that you and I, when we hear someone uh, who may be from a different country, well, we generally know that because they speak differently than we do. And the same for us. When we go somewhere, if you're from the South, like myself, when you go places, people probably say, oh, you must be from the South. They know instantly because they can tell because our speech is different. Now, that's possible uh, that that's what happened here. Either they knew him or they simply were able to tell he was a Levite from his speech. Now, they wondered what he was doing there. How did he get there? What brought him there? And uh, he begins to tell them the story that Micah had brought him in to be the priest. And so uh, uh, we were beginning to see some details here at the beginning of this story that are going to prove to be important for us as we continue on uh, through the rest of this chapter. Now, what they were going for, we see in verse 5, is they went to this Levite as they were passing through wanting to know if, if God was going to be with them on their journeys. The Levite says, yep, God's going to be with you. Now, whether God had really revealed that to him, it's possible. Uh, if he was really a priest of God, that God may have revealed that to him. Maybe he revealed it to him on the spot. Uh, maybe some time had passed and the Levite had went to seek the Lord and the Lord had told him that uh, they were going on their journey. Maybe he just made this up. Maybe the Lord didn't speak to him at all. It's hard to know if this guy really was a priest of God or just a priest appointed by Micah. We know he was appointed by Micah's priest, but... Uh, I don't know if he was appointed by God or not. The, the text really doesn't tell us that. There's no way to know. Regardless, he was serving in the office as priest, and he tells the people that the Lord is going to go with them. So it could very well be that the Lord did reveal this to him, and the Lord was indeed with the people of Dan as they were going on their journey to take over this new land. Let's read a little further. In verse 7, The five men left and came to Laish. They saw that the people who were there were living securely, in the same way as the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting. There was nothing lacking in the land, and no oppressive ruler. They were far from the Sidonians, having no alliance with anyone. When the men went back to their clans at Zorah and Ishtal, they, the pe their people asked them, What did you find out? They answered, Come on, let's go up against them, for we have seen the land, and it is very good. Why wait? Don't hesitate to go and invade and take possession of the land. When you get there, you will come to an unsuspecting people and a spacious land, for God has handed it over to you. It is a place where nothing on earth is lacking. Six hundred Danites departed from Zorah and Eshtel, armed with weapons of war. They went up and camped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. This is why the place is called the Camp of Dan to this day. It is west of Kiriath-Jerim. From there they traveled to the hill country of Ephraim and arrived at Micah's house. So the five men go on their way and they arrive at a place called Laish and they see that it's a good place. The people there are quiet and unsuspecting, so easy to attack. They have no neighbors nearby, no alliances that will come to their aid. The land is good. It's lacking nothing. Everything they could possibly need, they realize is there, so they see it's a good place. And they go back and they tell the other Danites, say, hey, look, we found a good place. These people, they won't even know what, what hit them. They'll be easy to overtake. When we get the land, it'll be a good land, so no need to wait. No need to, to take our time. We need to go in there, and we need to take it. Now, 
The land is called Laish. That's the name of the place, the city or the town or the area that they went to. Uh, now, in Joshua chapter uh, 19, you'll see kind of this, this whole thing spelled out for us as it talks about they were supposed to get the allotment of the land, uh, but it also spells out uh, a little more detail about what happened here. Now, in there, I believe the name of the place that's referred to as Lashem, uh, but Lashem and Laish are the same places. So, the events that are talked about in Joshua 19 uh, are the same events that occur here, that as Dan went into the land, that they overtook this land. And so they saw it was good. They told the rest of the Danites uh, what had taken place. And so they go back and prepare for this battle to go in and overtake these people. All right, let's read a little further. Verse 14. The five men who had gone to scout out the land of Laish told their brothers, Did you know that there are and ephod, household gods, and a carved image overlaid with silver in these houses. Now think about what you should do. So they detoured there and went to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and greeted him. The 600 Danite men were standing by the entrance of the gate, armed with their weapons of war. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the land went in and took the carved image overlaid with silver, the ephod, and the household idols. While the priest was standing by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with their weapons of war. When they entered Micah's house and took the carved image overlaid with silver, the ephod, and the household idols, the priest said to them, What are you doing? They told him, Be quiet. Keep your mouth shut. Come with us and be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest for the house of one person or for you to be a priest of a, for a tribe of, and family in Israel? So the priest was pleased and took his ephod, household idols, and carved image, and went with the people. They prepared to leave, putting their small children, livestock, and possessions in front of them. So here are these, these five uh, men who were exploring to look for a new land. Come back. They tell the other Danites, a good land has been found, a people that are going to be easy for us to overtake are there, so let's go on our way. There are 600 of them who are gathered up, preparing to go to take this land, and on the way, they stopped by the house of Micah. Now, these five who were sent to scout out ahead of time said, oh, by the way, and there's this priest there in this house of Micah, and there's these idols there, and there's all this stuff there, and I'm just saying, just letting you know that these things are there. Do what you want to do. I mean, just want you to have that in mind. And so, they're kind of working on a plan, it would seem, of what their intentions are with these idols and with this priest that is at Micah's house. And so on their way to go to this land, as we saw in this passage, they stop at Micah's house and they see this priest. And they proceed to go in and they proceed to take all of these idols, the one that was made with the image that the mother had melted down that we saw in Judges 17, the ephod that was there, as well as other household idols. And so the priest is outside with the rest of the armed guards at the gate. Uh, they go in, they're taking the things out of the house, and the priest says, look, what are you doing? And they say, look, what, don't, let me, they ask him a question. They said, look, would you rather be the priest of one household or would you rather be the priest of a whole tribe of Israel, one family, the family of Dan, this whole tribe? What sounds better to you? And so the priest, it doesn't appear, needs to think about it for very long and he decides, hey, I've got a better job opportunity, so I'll take this, this job with these Danites. Micah was good to me. Uh, he paid me a little bit. I had a little bit of power, but boy, 
I'm going to have a lot of power when I go with the Danite. So they give him a better position, and off he goes. He goes from a smaller job as priest to a much bigger job as priest. So he's uh, pretty easily bought off, it would appear, uh, from these Danites, which may be another clue that maybe he wasn't really a priest of God. Uh, it seems from chapter 17 and here in chapter 18 that he's pretty much just going where the money is. Uh, Micah called him to be priest, offered him some stuff. Sure, I'll come be your priest, Micah. Now a better opportunity comes along. The Danites come. They offer him a lot more. And so without thinking twice, at least it doesn't show us that he, that he really thinks twice about it in the text, he goes on his way with the Danites. He's getting a better position. He is lured away by the money. Now we have to be careful uh, that we are not lured away by such things in our life. And in particular, when it comes to people in ministry, uh, that may be something that we see in ministry today. You may see a pastor of a smaller church and the opportunity for a bigger church may arise. And that opportunity looks good and enticing because, boy, it seems like we are more successful and have more power with the bigger, uh, bigger opportunity. That's not true just in ministry. It's true in every aspect of work or any kind of job that we may have. But we need to be careful whatever we're going into regardless of whether we're in ministry or not, that it's something that God is calling us to in a place that the Lord wants us to be. And we don't just go because it looks like a better position of power or more money for us. And that may indeed be what this priest here did. That appears to be the case. And so, everything's going good for the Danites. They're going to their new land to be able to conquer and overtake the people who are there. Along the way, they get some valuables. They get some idols to worship. They even get a priest to come back to them. And on top of that, a Levite priest. And so uh, the people of, of, of Dan are doing good, at least in their eyes, they're doing good along their way and along their journey. Uh, let's read a little further. Verse 22. After they were some distance from Micah's house, the men who were in the house near it mobilized and caught up with the Danites. They called to the Danites who turned to face them and said to Micah, What's the matter with you that you mobilize the men? He said, You took the gods I had made and the priest and went away. What do I have left? How can you say to me, What's the matter with you? The Danites said to him, Don't raise your voice against us or our angry men will attack you and your family will lose you and your family will you lose your lives. The Danites went on their way and Micah turned to go back home because he saw that they were stronger than he was. After they had taken the gods Micah had made and the priests that belonged to him, they went to Laish to a quiet and unsuspecting people. They killed them with their swords and burned down the city. There was no one to rescue them because it was far from Sidon and they had no alliance with anyone. It was in a valley that belonged to Bethrahab. They rebuilt the city and lived in it. They named the city Dan, after the name of their ancestor Dan, who was born to Israel. The city was formerly named Laish. The Danites set up the carved image for themselves. Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests for the Danite tribe until the time of the exile from the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image that he had made, and it was there as long as the house of God was in Shiloh. Now, 
This is an interesting story, but there's one key thing that I think we can take from it. There are other things, too, that we can take from it, but there's one thing that really jumps out to me as we read this story, and it came in this last passage that we read here. Now, the Danites go in and they do their thing. They overtake the people in the land. Now, we may read that and we think, well, they're harsh people to overtake those people who were there. Well, that's what they were supposed to have done all along. That's what the Israelites should have done from the get-go, and they would have saved themselves a lot of problems. So the Danites weren't necessarily bad for doing that, for taking land that the Lord had already promised the Israelites that they could have. But a real struggle we see with the Danites, as well as the rest of the Israelites in this book, is their idolatry, is their desire to worship these false gods, to worship these idols. And that was the problem with Micah. He took the silver of his mom, they got it burnt down, they made these idols and this ephod, and they worshiped these things, and maybe they were trying to worship the Lord as best they could. After all, Micah and his mom were praising the Lord, even though they seemed to be... Uh, kind of shady characters, at least Micah did. He had stolen from his mom, after all. Uh, and, and maybe they were genuinely trying to seek the Lord and were just so misguided in knowing God's word and what God required that they totally missed it. But regardless, they were not worshiping the Lord in the way they should. They were not godly people. That's pretty apparent. They didn't know God's word very good, and instead of worshiping the Lord, they were worshiping idols. And that was the big problem that we've seen in the last couple of chapters but really the big problem that we've seen throughout the rest of the book of Judges. Now, when Micah's idols were taken, we see his response in verse 24. Because he catches up to the men of Micah, he had gathered his neighbors up, he had mobilized them, and they had called up to uh, the, the, the people of Dan, Micah and the people did, and he said to them in verse 24, You took the gods... I had made. Now think about the first part of that right there right quick. You took the gods I had made. Now that should be a statement that if Micah would have stopped and listened to that or anybody else for that matter, that shouldn't really make sense. What kind of God would we want to serve that we could make? What kind of God could you make and could I make? Well, not a very good God. We're sinful people. I mean, the, the best thing I could make is going to be bad. I look at all the sin and all the evil and all the things that are in my life and all the, I mean, I am so imperfect. What could I possibly make that would be better than me? Well, I could make nothing that would be bigger or better than me. Well, God is definitely bigger and better than we are, but not a God that we make with our hands. Micah said, you took the God that I had made. Now, I don't want to serve a God that can be taken from me. And I don't want to serve a God that I make with my hands. Because a God that I make with my hands and a God that can be taken from me is not a God who is worthy to be praised. And he's not a God at all. Now these gods that Micah was worshiping and these gods that the Danites had stolen, these were not gods at all. These were idols made by human hands. They had no power whatsoever. They were over nothing. And they were not things that God's people should have prayed to then or things that God's people should be praying to now. They are not things that we should be seeking for our power and for our deliverance. And Michael was devastated because his gods were taken. Now, if I had a God who was taken from me, then I wouldn't think twice about it. I would say, whoa, what a relief. 
Turns out that God wasn't worth praising after all. If, uh, if a God that we serve can be taken, well, he's not much of a God. And these false gods that Micah was worshiping were no God at all. But I want to tell you today that if we trust in the Lord, the one and only true God, if we trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that we serve a God that cannot be taken from us. We serve a God who is not created by humans, but we serve a God who created humans. We serve a God who created everything that there is. All the beautiful trees, all the beautiful flowers, all the breath that's in our lung, everything that we have, everything that we do, the fact that we can stand up and walk around and breathe a breath of air today is because God has created that. Now that's a powerful God. Think about a God who created the universe, which is bigger than we probably ever will know in this life, that expands for light year upon light year upon light year. Think about a God who has created all that you see, who has created all the intricacies in your body, the cells that you have, the organs that you have, that all come together and form in the womb in an instant. And all begin to take place and over months times begin to grow into, into uh, what we see as our bodies. And we begin to get eyes and ears and a nose and arms and legs and fingers and toes. And all of these form just in a few months time because God has created all things. Because God has put all of these things into motion. And all of the intricacies and all of the beautiful things that we see in this world, they didn't just happen by chance. They happened because God called them to happen. Because God spoke and things came into being. Now that's the God that we serve when we serve God. But when we serve idols, when we worship things of the world, when we put our hope in things of the world, I'll tell you, you're going to be devastated. Because things of the world will not last, they will not stand, they will not give you the deliverance and the hope that you desire. But I want to tell you, if you put your trust in God, He will not fall. No one can take Him from you. He is a God who has created you. He is a God who knows you. He is a God who knows every hair on your head. He knows everything that you're going through. And He will not leave you or forsake you. Now that's the God I want to serve. I don't want to serve a God that can be taken away from me. I want to serve a God who will be there from me, for me. I want to serve a God who will take care of me. I want to serve a God who will protect me. I want to serve a God who will come to me in my times of trouble, not a God that I have to chase down and try to catch in my times of trouble like Micah's trying to do here. Micah's gods were taking him. He was fleeing. He was panicking. What was he going to do? His gods were taken. And so he runs down these Danites and he says, you took the gods I had made. And then a few words later he says, what do I have left? That was his life. He had put his life in things that were made by human hands. He had put all of his hope, all of his trust in things that he had made with his own hands. He had put all of his hope and all of his trust in things that were made of silver or gold or whatever other materials that they were made of. And in an instant, in a moment's time, those things that he had put all of his trust in, they were gone. They were no more. And he said, what am I going to do now? Now think about that for a second. 
Now we may say, well, I don't have a house full of idols, so if somebody were to come to my house, they couldn't steal any kind of idol. I don't have any statues that I worship and bow down, but I want to ask you today, what are you trusting in? Now I hope you're not trusting in a little figurine that's made by gold or silver or other materials. But even if you're not worshiping things like that, I want to tell you your trust could be in something other than the Lord. Now, I don't know what you're trusting in today, but I want you to think for a second. What would what could be taken from you today? If something was taken from you, what would it be that if this was taken from me? Boy, I don't know what I would do. Now, I want you to think about that because there are things in our life that we really that we really love a lot. Things in our life that we shouldn't love that much. Things in our life that we put a lot of hope and trust in that we shouldn't put hope and trust in. And if there's anything in this world, and I mean anything, even good things, that we begin to trust more than the Lord, we are setting ourselves up for failure because there is nothing in this world, and I mean nothing in this world, that cannot be taken from you in an instant. Anything you have, your finances, your home, your freedom, your family, all of these things that we have, some of those things are great things, wonderful things. But there is nothing that we have in this world that cannot be taken from us in an instant. And if all of our trust and all of our hope is in any of those things of the world, then when those things are gone, if those things are ever taken from us, then we are going to be in a bad place. We are going to struggle. We are going to worry. We are going to fear. We are going to say, what do I have left? What am I going to do? All the things that I put my hope and trust in are gone. Now, I'll tell you, if you put your trust in anything of this world, you may say those words one day. Chances are you will. But I want to tell you that if you really put your trust in the Lord, that if your money's gone, if your investments fail, if all of your retirement's gone in an instant, if you lose your home, if you lose your job, Whatever it may be, if you lose anything of this world, if you put your faith and trust in the Lord, you can lose any of those things and you'll know you'll be okay. Now, I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm not implying that at all. If we lose things that, that, that we, are, are, we call ourselves depending on, let's say, if we lose our monies and we lose our jobs, those are hard things. I'm not saying they're not. I'm not pretending... It's not hard when we lose a loved one that we are close to. Those are all hard things. But if we put our faith and trust in the Lord, if our hope is in the Lord, even when we lose those things, as hard as it may be, we'll get through it. Because we know the one that we have our trust in is greater than the thing that we've just lost. We know that God is greater than all things that may be in this world. He is. And when we put our hope in Him, even when we lose the things of this world, we can rejoice in the Lord and say, God, all right, it's tough, dear Lord. Golly, God, that hurts that I lost this thing or that I lost that thing. 
But God, I'm going to trust you. Because God, you are what I have left. Micah didn't have anything left because he did not trust in the Lord. He trusted in things of the world. And when the, when the people came and took him, he said, What am I to do? You've, you've taken my gods. You've taken what's most important to me. What do I have left? Well, in Micah's case, he didn't have anything left because he didn't have the Lord. And I want to tell you the same is true for you and I. If we don't have the Lord, if you don't put your hope in the Lord, if you don't put your trust in the world, in the Lord, then when the things of the world are taken from you, you're hopeless. You don't have anywhere to turn. But I want to tell you today, and maybe you're there right now today. Maybe you have lost things, and you are in a you are in a bind. Maybe you've lost the material possessions of this world. Maybe you've lost a loved one who was near and dear to you. And boy, you're just broken hearted and you're struggling. You're wondering, what am I going to do, God? What am I going to do? If you're in that place today, I'll tell you what you can do. You can turn to the Lord because that's where your hope is going to come from. It's not going to come from anything of this world. It's going to come from the Lord. And as hard as our situations and circumstances may be now, or maybe in the future, whatever is taken from us, whatever we lose in our life, we can say, you know what? I'm going to get through it because God is bigger than whatever I'm going through. He's going to give me the strength. He's going to be with me. But if we continue to trust in the world, we're going to be just like Micah here. We're going to find ourselves torn up because we've lost what was important to us, things that were not of God, things that, that we shouldn't have put so much faith and so much hope in. So Micah lost everything that was important to him, and the Danites, well, they were in bad shape because they were continuing on right where he left off. They just took all his stuff and continued right on worshiping their God. They continued the cycle, worshiping these false idols, using this priest, and they were going along their way, doing the things that they shouldn't have been doing to begin with. Sometimes in life when we lose one thing that's important, we replace it with another thing important, only to find that it doesn't bring us any hope either. Well, I want to tell you today, if you're in that cycle, you can break that cycle. Because the things that you are seeking that are important to you are not going to be important to you, and they're not going to do any good to you if they're not the Lord. I hope today that you're seeking the Lord. I hope you're not making the mistake as Micah. I hope you're not trusting in things that are made by human hands, but I hope you're trusting in God. I hope you're not trusting in things that are here today and could be gone tomorrow, but I hope you're trusting in the Lord who has been here for all eternity and he has created everything that you have today and he will be here for you tomorrow and for all eternity afterwards. I hope that's where your hope and your faith and your trust is today. Let's pray. God, we come to you and I thank you for these words and I pray that you just bless them, dear Lord. I pray the Holy Spirit would use them. And I pray, God, that you just would be with each one that's heard them, dear Lord. There are things in this life that we love. And sometimes there's good things, dear Lord, that we love. People we love that we lose, dear Lord. But God, don't, don't ever let us doubt you, dear Lord, or question you, God, as hard as it may be, as tough as things may be, God, I pray that we would trust you. That we would put our hope in you, dear Lord, even those loved ones that have gone to be with you, dear Lord. That we know that, God, even if they're not with us, we still... Rejoice in the fact that they're in a better place today, dear Lord. And we thank you for being good to us even on the hard days. And just give us the strength that we need on those tough days. Help us not to love the things of the world or trust them, dear Lord. Because there's no amount of money that we can have, God, that'll give us the security that we want. 
God, it's just, it's just not going to happen. We can think it all we want to. But dear Lord, money is not security, but you are security, dear Lord. We can't put our hope in things of the world and how they're going or how they might go, dear Lord, because things of the world change with the wind, dear Lord. They blow here and there and yonder. But God, I pray that you would just help us to seek you for our hope, to trust in you in our hard times, dear Lord, so that whatever may be taken away from us, we are reminded that, God, you can never be taken away from us. So, God, I pray that we would remain faithful to you and we would keep our hope in you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.